Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Late Night Linux Extra. I'm Joe. And this time we've got something a little bit different. Last time I spoke to Carl about RHEL and CentOS and Fedora, things that I didn't know very much about and that we don't tend to cover much on the shows. Well, I thought let's take that a step further. And so I asked Alan Jude to join me to talk about FreeBSD. You may know him from Two and a Half Admins, the show that he does with me and Jim Salter. You should definitely check that out, 2.5admins.com. And of course, he is one of the hosts of the BSD Now podcast. He's also a FreeBSD developer, ZFS expert, and he mentions his company in this, Clara, clarasystems.com. I honestly couldn't think of anyone better to tell me all about FreeBSD. Before we get into that, though, just a quick thank you to everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. You can go to latenightlinux.com slash support for details. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that has Late Night Linux, Late Night Linux Extra, and Linux After Dark in it. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. So, let's get straight on with it then. Thanks a lot for joining me, Alan. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. So, the reason I've got you here today is to talk about FreeBSD. I know virtually nothing about it. You know lots about it. So I suppose let me start with, why do you use FreeBSD when Linux is out there and arguably more popular, at least in some settings? For myself, it was probably mostly that it wasn't more popular when I got started, especially in the types of things that I was interested in. So I got started with my journey into Unix because of IRC. So I was on IRC from my, you know, my desktop Windows machine at home and wanted to learn more about how to, to make the bots that you, you tell them to do stuff and they do stuff or how to have my own server. And when I asked about it, somebody sent me a link to download the software for running an IRC server. And it was a tar.gz file, but I'd, I'd never seen one of those before. I didn't know, but WinRAR opened it, so it's fine. <laughs> and open it up and I'm like, there's no .exe file in here. How does this work? And it's like, no, 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 you're going to need a, a shell account on a Unix machine. I'm like, what? is that even? And then a short time later, I'm learning how to, you know, compile software by hand by running the dot slash configure script and make, make install and all this stuff and building my own software and playing with it. And, you know, I ended up renting a shell account by, you know, I was like 14 at the time. So I was like, went to the post office and bought a money order and like mailed it to the guy to get an account. (laughs) So I got this account and it happened to be that this guy used FreeBSD 2.2 point something on his machines. He had like a T1 line at his house and he rented out a couple of machines to let people run bouncers for IRC and little IRC servers and so on. And so I ran that and learned a bit about it and like got addicted to TCSH. It's a a shell like Bash, but it has like typo correction and a bunch of cool features I learned about and was kind of not quite the default, but kind of the default in FreeBSD at the time. And learned a lot about it. And then eventually, as I learned more, I got more shell accounts and then started running my own shell provider. And really, the mantra at the time was, you know, your your options were like FreeBSD, Slackware, or like Red Hat 7 or 8, like the first Red Hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, before it was RHEL. Yeah. And so the common wisdom was like, you use one of the BSDs or you get rootkitted. <laughs> Well, that brings me to the question of why you've stuck with it, because, okay, it, you knew what you were doing with it, but at the same time, you're a very pragmatic person, right? You use the best tool for the job. And so why is FreeBSD still the best tool for the job now that Linux has advanced so much in terms of packaging and all the other stuff? 
Well, FreeBSD is mostly just as caught up on all those things. A lot of it has to do with just it's where my skills are. If I want to do something, I know exactly how to do it. And I can just go do it. And on Linux, it's like, I, I don't understand this. Or what kind of Linux is that? Oftentimes, it's just, this is what I'm comfortable with. And so it's what I use for everything. Part of it was also, again, like you said, fairly pragmatic. So when I went to college, we learned everything. We had Microsoft, Novell, Linux, and BSD courses as part of our, you know, the network administrator courses. And so I learned what was Red Hat 9 at the time, but was basically what became RHEL. And all those skills I learned in college worked perfectly well on Red Hat up till RHEL 6. And then with 7, when they went to SystemD, all the stuff I knew stopped working. <laughs> or was the, the deprecated way of doing it, and it kind of worked, but maybe not. And like the netstat and ARP and route commands weren't installed. You had to use this IP command. And it's like, well, it spits out a bunch of stuff, but it, it tries really hard not to tell me what the IP address of the machine is. <laughs> yeah, there's no if config anymore just to quickly print it. Yeah, and so like it's IP adder or whatever, but it's like, well, what if I want the MAC address? It's like, oh, that's IP link. And it's like, well, why can't I just get both at once like I used to? <laughs> so has FreeBSD stayed more consistent then over the years? For sure. A lot of the stuff I learned back 20 years ago is still exactly the same. There's some newer stuff, like the way you manage partitions and so on has gotten a lot better. Geom is kind of FreeBSD's version of like MD RAID. Uh, it provides a bunch of these different transform layers and you can stack multiple of them on top of each other. And one of the layers is the partition system and it has a really, really nice tools for managing partitions. So that's changed a bit over time. And you know we rewrote the installer back at like FreeBSD 8 or 9 and a couple of things like that, but a lot of the basic stuff is is not that changed because it works well. Like if I want to set up a link aggregation, so bind two NICs together and then put a VLAN on top of that, I can do that in FreeBSD in one or two commands of the command line or like three lines in the config file. And when I tried to do it on like a CentOS and a Ubuntu, it was a giant faff every time. Is that not just because you weren't as familiar with how those systems work, though? A little bit yes and a little bit no. Like, the config file you have to write for it for CentOS is like 20 lines and you need four separate files. Right. Rather than just having one true config file that you put everything in. And some of that's just stylistic and, you know, it's like, oh, there's this tool that writes the config file for you. It's like, yeah, but I'm trying to use my automation and I don't, the interactive tool is not good for my automation. I don't know. A lot of it is, yes, just... Even if it's a better way of doing it, it's not the way I'm used to doing it. And that gets to a couple of the things about FreeBSD. One of them that's mostly a good thing, although it gets misinterpreted a lot, is FreeBSD has this thing called the policy of least astonishment, which basically means when you upgrade from one version of FreeBSD to the next, when things have changed, they will change in the least surprising way. So that means... You know, if you still try to do it the old way, it's not going to eat your lunch or blow up in your face. Uh, it's going to, you know, kind of keep working, but tell you, hey, you should use the new way or whatever. There's going to be some changes between major versions, but it'll be done in the way that is least likely to go wrong, right? If the default for the firewall changes from jet to accept or something, it's not going to end up leaving your machine, locking you out or, or leaving it open to the internet when you didn't want it to. There's some features like jails, which have been around for an awfully long time as well. Yeah, like jails were originally written for a commercial customer in 1999 and then open sourced in 2000. And they're basically kind of like Linux containers. They're 
from much earlier. So Linux containers are interesting because they're both more and less than the jails. So with jails, it's kind of you have this one top level construct, which is the, the jail or the prison, and it's a ch root. So it provides a mount namespace and filtering against those. And then it provides a, a UID namespace. And with VNet, you can have a separate network. You can either with a regular jail, you filter the network stack of the host and only allow it to access certain IP addresses. Or with VNet, it has its own complete network namespace and things like that. And then we have uh, RCTL for resource control. And then on Linux, with the namespaces, you have all of these separate namespaces that you can pick and choose from, and they can kind of overlap and so on, but there's no overarching container that actually makes up the container. And the container itself there isn't just one ID number that uniquely identifies that container for the whole kernel. It's actually just a bunch of layers of pieces, which offers some more flexibility, but also makes it harder to be like, there's this one container thing and it's, you know, it consists of all these namespaces or whatever, but there's one wrapping, like top level concept. What about support for OCI containers and Docker and stuff? Where's that with FreeBSD? Well, for OCI containers, there's a bunch of work there. I've seen a university paper and kind of prototype of even being able to using uh, like run J or run C, I forget what the thing's called, being able to actually pick up a container that's running on Linux, move it to FreeBSD, including keeping the open sockets that are open. Like it copies the socket buffer of currently open sockets during the transition and being able to move a workload from Linux to FreeBSD and back. Now, this is just university research level code, so it's it's not production ready, but yeah. it proves that it's entirely possible. I think the main thing that's holding back Docker and FreeBSD is a, a couple of things. First, most FreeBSD people, myself included, don't necessarily understand all of the bits that make Docker or what people's main use case for it is. If the main use case is I want to download this pre-built image of some version of Linux with all the dependencies stuff and just run it, that's not going to apply very well on FreeBSD. Even if we do all the right stuff to turn the container bits into jails and so on, you're going to have a bunch of Linux binaries inside. And FreeBSD's Linux binary compatibility is, is pretty good, but it's not perfect. And if all you want to do is run a bunch of Linux containers, why would you want to use FreeBSD as the host for that? I suppose, yeah, that makes sense. The reason why we don't have something similar like that for FreeBSD is because, well, you can just create a jail and issue a couple of commands and install the packages for the thing you want and have that. You don't you don't need to download a pre-built image of it necessarily. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets, training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. The on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash Linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. One of the other interesting things about FreeBSD is 
the fact that it's kind of this hybrid of long-term support and rolling release. So the OS itself is long-term support. You get on a major version like 12, and it's supported for five years. We just, uh, we have kind of incremental updates. They were kind of more like a service pack. It's not really like a major OS upgrade, but it is a way to allow us to introduce new features and have it be a separate version. Well, kind of like RHEL then, that sounds like to me. Yeah, so yeah, is, is, is it kind of exactly like a RHEL, as there'll be 12.1, 12.2, and uh, 12.3 will come out around the same time as this recording, I think. And if you compiled software to work on any version of 12, it will work on all versions of 12. Right. Just because you upgrade your OS, it's not going to make any of your software stops working. Unless you upgrade, if you upgrade from 12 to 13, then, you know, all bets are off. A bunch of library versions are going to change and, and you're going to have to deal with that. And do you have companies that offer support beyond that then? Like, for example, with Canonical and Ubuntu, you get five years for free, but if you pay them, you get 10 years, which is very attractive to a lot of customers. No, although there are lots of people that do keep using old versions uh, <laughs> and backporting things themselves, but those are more oh, right. like appliance vendors and so on that just kind of have enough in-house developers to just keep doing it. I was going to say, you know, I, I started a, a support company and we do a lot of stuff for FreeBSD, but we're not that interested in keeping really old versions working because the newer versions are better. And we actually spend a lot of our biggest customers are us helping them get to the newer versions more quickly rather than trying to bring the fixes to the old versions they're stuck on. Yeah, you never do a very good job of plugging your company. What's it called? Clara Systems, or just Clara, but that was taken. So clarasystems.com. And we offer FreeBSD and ZFS support subscriptions and development contracts. So we build uh, features or, like we said, we've helped companies get caught up to newer FreeBSD. And also, if they have customizations they've done, we can help them get those upstream so they're part of mainline FreeBSD so that next time they update, they have less code to have conflicts with and so on. And do you do hardware enablement as well then? Yes, uh, we do hardware bring up. We're doing a lot of stuff on ARM right now uh, with ARM64 and so on. But you know, if you have a specific device and you want to deploy a, a FreeBSD appliance on it, then yeah, we're definitely the right people to help you with that. So when it comes to package management, I know of this thing called ports, and I've briefly used it. That is pretty different from traditionally, at least, how software is managed on Linux. Yeah, and the ports tree is not necessarily meant to be used that way anymore. But so yeah, basically what the ports tree is, is a source code repository of make files for all these different programs. So it's basically a recipe for each different application. So for example, you want to install rsync. It'll be under the, I think it's net or FTP clients category. And there will be a directory called rsync. And then it will be a BSD make file that contains the recipe on how to download the rsync tar file from the official rsync website, apply any patches that it might need. Uh, it checksums the file you just downloaded to make sure it's the legitimate one. Then it can extract the tarball, apply any patches that are special to make it work on FreeBSD. With rsync, I don't think there are any, but there are um, optional features you can enable. You can say, oh, I want the, the patch for rsync that allows me to do a, a bandwidth limit to say, you know, I only want rsync to run at two megabytes a second and not use up all my internet connection or whatever. So basically the recipe to download the software, customize it and compile it and, and basically get an install version and then uh, install it on your system and register it in the package database so that you can, you know, you upgrade it and uninstall it and so on. And while you can use it manually, the main thing that's used for is to build the binary packages. So unlike uh, a lot of other Linux distros where individual developers compile 
the packages and then upload them. In FreeBSD, developers make these recipes and those get checked in. And then about every three days, the project's build servers will check out that whole thing and build all 43,000 applications that are supported and publish that as a new package set. And so do you have an equivalent of apt and DNF then? Yeah, ours is just called PKG. So you just PKG install rsync space nano space sudo, which is usually the first three things I install on a new machine, and it will download and install them. And then you can do PKG upgrade, and it'll upgrade all those. The thing that's different on FreeBSD, I kind of mentioned this earlier, was the how it's this hybrid of long-term support and a rolling release. Hmm. The OS has the long-term support, and there are some tools that are built into the operating system, like TCP dump and... I don't know, grep and all those kind of things. But there's a limit of how much stuff is included in FreeBSD itself. It's basically just the basic tools and there's no graphical tools and uh, you know there's no sudo, there's no rsync, etc. Just some of the basic stuff, fetch, FTP client, that kind of thing. And then we have these, the ports that get built, compiled as packages and those we call third-party packages are just these 43,000 programs you can decide to install on your machine. So when you do a default install of FreeBSD, there are no packages installed. There's just the operating system. And then you can install as many packages as you want and upgrade those. And are they kept relatively up to date then? So there's two versions of the ports tree. Uh, there's the main one, which is called latest, and that gets updated like every day. And if you use um, websites like uh, Repoology that keep track of this, it's usually first or second place for being the most up to date. It's basically a race between NixOS and FreeBSD to who keeps their ports more up to date. (laughs) But we also have a quarterly branch. So we'll tag a version of that every three months and only backport security fixes to it. So if you want to not have a bunch of new packages to download every day, uh, you can use the quarterly branch, and that's the default when you do a new install. Right, yeah, I was going to say that sounds more up my alley. I don't think I would want the bleeding edge stuff. Right, Uh, so this one you basically get version updates once every three months and just the runtime fixes and security fixes in the, the quarterly branch. Right. But it allows you to mix. You can have that option of, I need the latest and greatest versions of everything and... I still want an OS that's definitely going to stay stable. What about the desktop then? Where's FreeBSD with that? I know there's GhostBSD, which is a nicely configured Mate desktop version, but it, it's, it doesn't strike me as a desktop OS, FreeBSD. Yeah, so what's interesting there is FreeBSD is an operating system, like Linux is a, a kernel of an operating system. It's FreeBSD itself isn't really a distro as as you would think of it if you're coming from a, a Linux landscape. So like I said, uh, FreeBSD is kind of has this divide between what is the operating system and what is third-party packages that you decide to install. So FreeBSD is what I guess on Linux side, like an unopinionated OS. It doesn't pick one desktop flavor and assume that's what people want. There are like 120 window managers in those 43,000 packages, and you can use whatever one you want. But that leads to, you know, there's not the same kind of -of out-of-the-box experience. FreeBSD's really a bit more of a Lego kit where you take the pieces and put it together whatever way you want to make your thing. The only thing that kind of comes out of the box is the developer tools you would want to be able to build whatever you're trying to customize FreeBSD into. And that comes from this other part of FreeBSD where it's called tools, not policy. 
So we provide all the tools for you to build whatever you want to build. And we don't kind of tell you what you're, which way you should do it. And so there's no graphical anything by default. It's all available in the ports tree and you can build one. And that's how my laptop is. I just, you know, install Xorg and, and Lumino or KDE or something and, and get a desktop together. But, you know, that's not a great experience for a new user. And so you end up, uh, we have a couple of distros now, like GhostBSD and there's, I guess, Midnight BSD. Uh, Nomad BSD is a nice, like, live CD one. It provides graphics and everything, but it's also uh, non-persistent or, you know, semi-persistent kind of live CD type thing. And yeah, so it's down to those if if people want to do it. The problem there is because of the way FreeBSD has been and, and not having a default window manager and so on, everybody in FreeBSD has their own opinion about what the right way to put a desktop together is. And most of them have just not gone through the effort of making their own distro or spin or whatever to do that. And so there's a couple uh, you can try out, but as an experienced user, I'm perfectly happy to put one together myself because it's it's not as involved as it really sounds, right? It's just picking a bunch of packages to install with, you know, apt or whatever. Well, thank you very much for joining me, Alan. It's been a real pleasure to hear about what you're into. Normally, it's all just ZFS stuff that we talk about on Two and a Half Admins. So uh, oh, we almost got through this whole thing without mentioning ZFS, but... Uh, it was you, not me. Yeah. I'm sure you mentioned it earlier. I'll nope. have to check when I nope, edit this. you can check. I didn't bring it up. But one of the nice things you do get with FreeBSD is the fact that ZFS is integrated into our kernel, which currently isn't possible for legal reasons with Linux. And so also our bootloader has full support. So you can boot from compressed, you know, latest versions of ZFS and have the boot environments feature, which basically allows you to have a switchable, clonable version of your root file system. So before you run that package upgrade and install all newer versions of your whole desktop stack or whatever, you can take a snapshot of the system. And if it doesn't work from the boot menu or using the the tool, you can say, all right, I'm going to reboot back into what my laptop was like yesterday where everything just worked. But because ZFS datasets, when you roll back the operating system, you're not rolling back, say, your home directory. So you don't lose, you know, all the email you've downloaded or whatever you were doing in your home directory. Yeah, so essentially, first-class ZFS support. Yeah. Well, I will speak to you again next week when we record 2.5 Admins then. Yep, 